You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip-syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to another episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 346. Hello, hello, everybody. We are super excited to bring another episode to you. We are the Family Gamers. As always, I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm joined by my lovely and wonderful wife, Anitra. That's me. And this week, we're going to talk about a topic that we haven't really done much of lately. We've done a couple of these kind of sessions this week. We're going to talk about the Room to Grow series. Specifically, we're going to talk about word games. We'll talk a little bit more about why Room to Grow for word games in the second half of the show. Mm -hmm. But first, I bet you have a fact. I do have a fact. This is kind of a sad fact. I found this fact early on in my fact searching, and I tried really hard to find a fact that wasn't a sad fact. But uh, 346 is apparently not a good number for a not sad fact. It's just a sad number. (laughs) Yeah. So do you remember a couple of years ago, there was the whole thing with the 737 Max? Oh, that's the one where they had like made the engines more powerful, but like there was a software glitch. Okay. So let's take a step back. So we're talking about airplanes. Yeah. This is the Boeing 737 Max. They had moved the engines so they were more forward on the wing. Okay. Like they changed the way they were mounted or something like that. And what this did was it like changed the lift mm-hmm. percentages, mm-hmm. parameters, whatever. But they didn't update the software correctly for this. And one of the reasons why they did this was so they, they didn't have to retrain pilots. Mm. Because the pilot was trained on the 737. And a huge part of the reason why they did it in this way was to get a little bit more efficiency out of the same plane. So there wasn't a large pilot retraining cost to make the planes more attractive for customers who would want to buy these airlines, namely. Uh, sure. Uh, what this represented was a significant level of failures across not only Boeing, the company who makes the 737, but also the FAA, because they kind of uh, just rubber stamp checkmarked the approval of this plane because of all these things that I just kind of explained. They're like, oh, yeah, it's basically the same model. Sure, it's it's good. Kind of, yeah. And so the sad part about this, the fact for this episode, is that in the two plane crashes, the two high-profile plane crashes of the 737 MAX caused by the fact that pilots literally could not break the system out of autopilot to override it and pull the planes up, 346 people died. Wow. So uh, that is my sad fact about this episode. 346 people. You have a fact that is less sad. (laughs) I mean, I would certainly hope so. Right, right. (laughs) What I have is a message about our sponsor, First Move Financial. First Move Financial is a financial services firm started by Donnie Carpenter. And his focus is to help normal families, like yours and mine, work with their finances. This isn't just investing. It can include investing, But it's also about spending every dollar wisely, knowing when to transition from debt payments to making other important purchases. But mostly it's about intelligently navigating the money world. Donnie is a board gamer just like us. 
So he completely understands the shelf of shame, which we call the shelf of opportunity. 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 Shelf of opportunity. You can go to firstmovefinancial.com slash family gamers to find out more about the services available and what it might take for you to get started. Thanks so much to Donnie and the team of First Move Financial for sponsoring this episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. All right. So let's talk about what we've been playing. Yes, also something that is less sad than our fact this week. So I will get us started. We played another round of Hickory Dickory. This is the game from Plaid Hat Games. Very adorable game. Came out at the beginning of this year. You are playing, unsurprisingly, as mice on a clock. What? I know, I know. I think that we started to get a better idea of kind of the mechanics of the game this time around. We definitely had higher scores than the first time we played. Yeah. And I really do feel like the mechanics are getting a little bit smoother, Uh, but it's still a game that requires a lot of setup. It still has a little bit of jank to it. So the review for Hickory Dickory should be coming out the same day as this podcast. But one of the big things that, you know, I really take away from this game is they've done this thing called chirp. So chirp is this kind of anagram for what you do when the clock strikes 12 to move to the next round. King Cuckoo Mm -hmm. chirps. Right. And I really like that because that's the thing that kind of ties this game together from a mechanic standpoint. Plat Hat always does these things with these beautiful games and elaborate mechanics and all this stuff. And it's really hard to stitch those things together and consistently follow those things over the course of a 5, 10, 15, 20 play session, which most of their games are campaign games. And so you have to do that. Mm -hmm. Hickory Dickory is not a campaign game, but it still struggles a little bit with this idea that the mechanics don't really flow from step to step in a way that is really self-evident. And I think there's a miss on the board because they wanted to make it beautiful where the corners are just kind of this art. Like it just looks nice, yeah. but it's not serviceable. And and I really think that if they had done some things like put the chirp anagram on there and just some quick reminders to make it just a little bit easier to remember the mechanics and get through what you do at each step in this thing and like how scoring works. Like they have these extra separate card for telling you how to score when you cash things in. I, I think it's that case of trying to do everything with symbols and move all of the explanation of symbols to the rule book and it's too much. Yeah, I mean, I really like the game. Once you get into the game and you're playing the game, but you're constantly referring to the rule book. Constantly. All the time. And and it's just that part's a little frustrating. The other thing and it's minor, this is something we talked about I think with Jeremy Howard when we had him on the show is you can't set the game up with the clock, like, dials and, and, and mm-hmm. hands and stuff unless you, you have to take it apart completely to put the game away and then yeah. reassemble it completely. Yeah. You know, which is, like, four pieces that you have to put rings on and push something under the board and put it over the board, and it's just... Well, and it's a, a tight the fit. Butt. Yeah, there had to have been an easier way to do this. I agree. Yeah. So, I like the game... It's the plaid hat problem. I, I like yeah. I like basically all of their stuff. The only time I've ever not had a setup issue with one of their games was Summoner Wars. <laughs> yeah, fair. And even that had some setup to it. So anyway, so that's Hickory Dickory. Uh, we're going to play it again before the review actually comes out, hopefully. And, uh, you know, we'll have more information then. Yep. We also got a chance to play Dice Hunters of Therion. Mm, we did. We played this on our Thursday date. I also played it with with two of our children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Well, I say that because we played two players, you and me, and technically we didn't use the special two player rules. That's fine. But we still had fun. Yeah. Like, this is key. We might not have played it entirely, quote unquote, right, but playing it the way we knew how to play it at two players was still fun. Yeah, it worked. It didn't feel like something was broken. Sure. So, so, so why don't you good. talk about some of the things that were fun and not broken about that game? So it's kind of a dice bidding slash press your luck game ish mm-hmm. in Dice Hunters of Therian. We are bounty hunters and we are looking for bounties, but really our goal is just to be the person with the most money. You can do that in two ways. You can do it by directly going after the bounties, which do get more valuable as the mm-hmm. game goes on. Mm-hmm. Or, and you can also just earn coins almost like by doing odd jobs sort of things. It's it stuff that comes up on your dice. When you roll your dice, you either get swords, a coin, or special stuff on each die. And you get a chance to roll up to three times, re-roll as many of those dice as you want. When you're done rolling, you can commit your swords to the current bounty, but only if the swords you have are greater than the number of swords that someone else has committed. So, like, if no one has committed anything yet, great, you can commit however many you want. But if, say, Andrew has put out five swords committed to the bounty, I can only kind of steal it away from him if I put out at least six swords. So the thing about this that gets interesting is that earlier in the round, you don't want to put a ton of swords against the bounty because you want to keep those dice available to roll coins on them. Right. Or to roll icons to get other dice. So you start with three white dice. And one of the faces on the white dice is a yellow face. And if you roll a yellow face, you get a yellow die in addition to it's not an upgrade. Mm-hmm. And one of the faces on the yellow die is a red face. And if you roll that, you get a red die in addition to the yellow and the red dice also have X's on them. So if you roll that, you lose that die. If you roll an X, you immediately lose that die. You don't get to re-roll it or anything. Right, 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 yeah. right. So the yellow and the red dice are constantly added or removed from your dice pool as you're playing Mm -hmm. through the game. So anyway, so earlier in the rounds, you might only want to commit like three swords to something because you want to keep rolling to try to get more coins. Mm -hmm. But the funny thing about that is you might accidentally roll more swords and then you have to decide like, do I want to commit them or not? I I don't even know if you have the choice. Do you have the choice? Uh, I would have to look back at the rules to see if, if you get to decide, but I don't. I don't see why not. Yeah. So it does inject a little bit of strategy there. In a more than two player game, this gets really interesting because as you're going around the table, if you don't commit a ton of swords to begin with because you're trying to get those coins, it might grow as it goes around the table to the point where you can't commit enough swords Mm -hmm. to try to get whatever that thing is. Because in order to get the bounty, you have to beat the number of swords there, not tie it. Right. So there is a little bit of risk there. It's part of the strategic part of the game, and I like how easy it is to understand. This game is super easy to get. Like, it's just, it's not complicated. Mm -hmm. Even the strategy that's there, it's like one and a half level strategy, not second level strategy. You know what I mean? It's just a simple, straightforward game. I really like it. It's good. Yeah. So we'll definitely be playing more of that and reviewing it in the next month or so, I think. Mm -hmm. Next game on my list is a quick one. I was traveling for work this past week. I was gone from Sunday through Wednesday. And I threw a couple of very small games in my bag. I threw Control and Jekyll vs. Hyde in my bag. We never played Control, but we did break out Jekyll vs. Hyde for a couple of plays. So uh, A-plus for that game as a travel game and as a two-player game. 
It's super easy to teach. It's small, so it travels well. And the guy that I played it against really enjoyed it. So awesome. Booyah. As a family, I believe when you got home, we also played some Blob Party. Blob Party is a brand new party word guessing game coming out from WizKids in about two weeks from now, I think. This game is... I love the concept of this game. It's way more fun than it deserves yeah, to yeah, be. Yeah. So, talk, so talk about how you play. So Blob Party is sort of a reverse just one that you're all putting in a, a private word on your own little whiteboard, but you want to match as many other people as possible. You want to match everybody. Really. You want to match everybody, really. Mm-hmm. But when everyone reveals, all of the players who match squish their little blobby guys together, which is like a Play-Doh sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, so at the beginning of the game, you break the blob of Play-Doh that comes with the game <laughs> into however many parts there are you know, for players, like this, however many players there are. This is a minimum four players mm. game. Maximum as many blobs as you feel like <laughs> making. But yeah, so when you match, everybody who matched squishes their little blobs together into a mega blob. So are people just randomly writing words down? Well, no, there's a word and a category and like you've got some clues to work with to try to read everybody else and match up. It was kind of dumb, but it was fun. And it got surprisingly hard when there were like four of us all together. We're like, okay, we're the blob. We have to figure out how to match up with the one person who's left. Yeah, I mean, this is really a pretty simple, straightforward word game. Uh, yeah, you know, it standard is. Standard mechanics, all that stuff. But just the small tactile edition of the Play-Doh is pretty cute. I'm sorry. I probably can't say Play-Doh. What's the non-specific? What's the, the what is the, uh, you know, nose tissue name for Play-Doh? Well, in our review, I will be calling it Squishy Dough. Squishy Dough. All right, <laughs> sure. Squishy Dough, what you play with. Exactly. All right. Excellent. And I think that's going to be our snap review next week. That's the plan. That's the plan. All right. So we'll see how that goes. All right. And that is Blob Party. I also got a chance to play Power Failure with Asher. This is another genius game slash Artana game. It's about power plants and generating power and stuff. And there's a lot of material there that makes me think of Power Grid, which is a classic serious gamer game. But obviously this is much lighter and faster to get into. And it's got a really neat mechanic for the idea of carbon capture or pollution. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. You physically build a tower of these little black hexagon pieces. And you have to do it when you build certain power plants and when you use certain power plants and all this kind of stuff. If when you're having to add stuff to this tower, you knock it over, whatever the action was you're doing, you don't do. And your turn is immediately over. So it really makes you think about the balance of like, do I want to use these coal power plants over here? Because... Man, if I use coal, I got to stack three more things on that tower and it's getting pretty tall and rickety. Maybe I don't want to do that. Maybe I want to save up and activate my nuclear power plants instead, which don't cost anything to activate. I really like the concept there. I definitely want to play this a bunch more to see if it starts feeling samey, which it seems like it might. Mm -hmm. But it's a cool idea. Yeah, I had read through the rules on that and I was really intrigued by that whole stacking of the hexagon pieces thing. Can you perform some kind of low cost action that causes you to put things on there and knock it over on purpose so that it becomes shorter for the next time you need it. 
I mean, there are things you could do where you might knock it over on purpose, but if you do, you're just making it shorter for the next people. Oh, so it's a shared tower. It is a shared tower. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. All right. Cool. Also with Asher, got a chance to play the prototype that we got sent of Avant Card. I'm jealous. I'm so jealous. I really like this game and he liked it too. That's awesome. I am looking forward to playing this with the whole family really soon. Mm Mm-hmm. And trying out some of the um, the new and different like power combinations for the different cards. Yeah, I'm really excited to be able to talk about this game more. Yeah. It's very good. Yeah. Also got a chance to play the Root Beer Float Challenge with some visiting teenagers and make a fool out of myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's what that game is for. I mean, it's totally what it's for. All right. Awesome. By the time this comes out, we will be almost halfway into June, but we never did get a chance to do the monthly report for May. So we can either do that first or we can welcome our new community members first. I I think we should do the monthly report. Okay. Because it's part of what we've been playing. All right? right. That's fair. Mine is uh, mine is pathetic. So I have been getting more responsibility at work and that has definitely had an impact on my ability to play board games. So I apologize. Uh, let's see. H index of two for me. I played Pollen and Busy Beaks twice. I also played Illiterati, Unmatched, Catch the Moon, and Yokai Sketch twice. How many plays of how many unique games? 25 plays of 19 unique games. That's not bad. It's okay, I guess. I explicitly set myself a challenge in May to play 31 different unique games for the 31 days of May. Show off. I, in fact, beat it with 33 unique games played. (laughs) All right. Um, what was your H index? My H index was three. I played a surprising number of games three times, although all of them are pretty short, quick things. Like you, I have Busy Beaks and Pollen and Illiterati and Yokai Sketch. I also have Math Rush and A Gentle Rain. Nice. With three plays for each of those. I played most of my games on Thursdays. That's when we have our breakfast dates. It is. It is. And usually Thursday night, we don't have anything planned. So if we're going to play anything I, as a family. Also fair. That's the most common day for that. Yeah. Uh, most of my games were played at three players, 40%, and then two players at 36%. Okay. Nice. Uh, let's keep moving on and welcome the new members to our Family Gamers Facebook community. Sure. We can do that. I will get us started and say welcome to Payman Bob. <laughs> welcome to Sonia. Welcome to Annie. Welcome to Emily. Welcome to Gemma. Welcome to Esther. Welcome to Sarah. We're so glad that you're here. Thanks for joining us. Yes, we are waving hello quickly, not slowly like the adorable sloth that is in the Family Gamers community post, welcoming all of you to the community. If you are part of the community and you haven't been there and said hello, please head over there and say hi. As you all know, there are lots of excellent chats in the community about all sorts of different topics. I think recently we have been talking about games like Karuba and the Unlock series for kids. Lots of great conversations going on in the chat and lots of great posts in the community itself. Why don't we take a quick break? We'll talk about Busy Beaks Mm -hmm. with our Snap Review and we'll be back with Room to Grow Word Games. All right. We'll be right back. It's in the old gum tree. Merry, merry king of the bush is he. <laughs> that may be the only Australian bird that we knew. 
but we learned a lot more about them by playing Busy Beaks. Busy Beaks is a card game by Phil Walker-Harding and published by his own imprint, Joey Games. Two, three, or four players can play this game in about 30 minutes, and it's best for ages eight and up. So in each other, let's do what we do. Let's talk about the art in Busy Beaks. All of the bird illustrations in Busy Beaks are by Sarah Allen, and they're adapted from her children's book, Busy Beaks. The graphic design in this is great. Every card has reminder icons on the bottom that tell you what they do. There are also facts about each bird on the back of its reference card. There's also this cool little tree board to show how to line up the rows of birds on the branches, and the card backs match the tree bark. It's very cool. Cute touch. So let's talk about the mechanics and how you actually play Busy Beaks. Sure. So in Busy Beaks, your goal is to make flocks of five identical bird cards. Here's my buddy, the kookaburra, by the way. <laughs> Whenever you turn in a flock, you get an egg token. On your turn, you may play a card from your hand, then you may turn in one flock, and then you must draw one card. Playing a card from your hand is the major action in the game. Place your card at the end of one of the three rows that are called tree branches. Then... Do that card's action. Each bird has a different action, and this is really how the game flows. Some of these birds let you pick cards from the tree branches, such as the Brolga and the Eastern Spinebill. Some have you draw from the deck. The Budgerigger takes the top three off the deck, while the Tawny Frogmouth has you reveal five cards from the deck and choose two to keep. Other cards let you steal from players' hands, swap cards with the tree, or even copy other birds but only half of the bird types are used in a game. So try out different combinations and see what happens. After playing a card and working out its effect, you may score a flock. You must discard five identical bird cards from your hand to do this. When you do, you take the most valuable remaining egg token from the ones laid out by the tree. Then, if you're the first player to make a flock of that bird type, take a single extra egg, the one you put out, hopefully, on that bird's reference card during setup. Don't forget to draw a card to end your turn, and clean up the tree branches if they need it. When someone takes the last multi-egg token, the game is immediately over. Each player counts up all the eggs on all of their tokens, and the player with the most eggs wins. So, Andrew, let's talk about what we expected with this game. Sure. Well, when I opened this box, I knew immediately that we were going to be mixing up decks of bird cards, kind of like Smash Up or something like that. The game comes with all these little cardboard boxes that you do need to fold into shape and sort the birds into, so there's a little bit of prep time the first time you open the box. I also felt pretty good about this being an approachable, easy-to-understand game, both because of the age on the box, but also because we've reviewed Scribbly Gum from Joey Games before, and we know that education about Australian life and culture and nature is at the core of what Joey Games does as a company. When I saw all the different kinds of birds, I expected something like Sushi Go Party, which is also designed by Phil Walker-Harding, where you'd want different collections of birds to do different things. I was a little annoyed by all these tiny boxes of cards, but it is a really effective way to keep them all separate without using any plastic. So, Anisha, we talked about what we expected when we opened this box. What surprised us? Choosing different birds can make for a very different game. You can make a luck-heavy set with lots of drawing, or a really puzzly set that encourages manipulating how the birds are arranged on the tree so you can get exactly the ones you want. Or you can even make a game that encourages lots of stealing from each other's hands. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> 
I was impressed at just how many different kinds of birds there were here. There's 14 birds in the box. So, Andrew, would we recommend Busy Beaks? Busy Beaks is a great light set collection game with interesting mechanics and great replayability across all of these various birds. It's got a little bit of meanness in it, but not too much, and you can totally avoid it by doing what you said and picking only the nice birds to use in a game. What I will say is, it makes me want to go to Australia so I can point at a bird and be like, I saw that bird in that game! <laughs> so, Anitra, what are we going to rate Busy Beaks from Joey Games? We're going to give Busy Beaks four and a half birds out of five. And that's Busy Beaks in, in a, a snap. snap. And we're back. So let's talk about word games. Word games can be a ton of fun. They are really good for stretching your brain in ways you're taking pieces apart and putting them back together. These pieces happen to be letters, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a good way to exercise your vocabulary, maybe match some words together, make some words, and the other person's like, what in the world is that? And you can actually learn something while you're playing a word game. You can talk about things like synonyms and antonyms mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. But word games can also be really hard. I mean, there's the obvious level of you cannot play a word game with somebody who is not a solid reader and writer of English. Mm -hmm. Well, and or... Or whatever another language, language you're and you're playing a word game in yeah. another language. Like, let's be clear here. Yeah. I remember playing some games with my parents when I was a kid, and I was like, I got a big vocabulary, like, I'm a smart kid, and realizing that I was never going to beat them if we started at the same playing field level. Sure. I could only win with various handicaps. But that's okay when you're playing without a level playing field like that that's fine right i mean and it was okay but it did also get kind of frustrating because i was just like this is a kind of game i found that both of my parents would actually really enjoy playing but not necessarily enjoy playing with me because i was not good competition sure 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 so that leads us into why room to grow our goal with this whole room to grow series is to bring your kids through a series of games that grow in complexity if, or non-gamers in your family. Yeah. Well, in this case, it really is it really a little is. bit more targeted towards kids. Because if you like word games and you want to play word games with your kids, you're going to have to wait a long time before they are ready to play adulty word games. That's true. <laughs> I mean, this is a domain knowledge thing, right? And the domain happens to be vocabulary. Yeah. So. And spelling. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> There's plenty yeah. of people who need help with that. So... Normally with Room to Grow, what we do is we take a beginner game, an intermediate game, and an advanced game, and we lay those out, talk about why we put them in those categories, and it offers a path for growth for your kids or, or whomever it is, other family members who don't normally play games, to get comfortable with that primary game mechanic. And we've done this with tile laying games or dexterity games or whatever. This time we're doing word games. But we've also mixed it up a little bit because... We know a lot of word games, and we like a lot of word games, and there's some word games that we don't like. <laughs> yeah. But what we've done here is instead of taking three games, a beginner, an intermediate, and an advanced, we actually have two in each category. Yeah. In part because they serve slightly different purposes, and in part because some things are going to work better than others, and it's going to depend very much on the skill level of your kids, both with 
gamey kind of concepts and with words and vocabulary and spelling. So let's get started with the beginner games, obviously. And both of these are games that we talk about a lot. In fact, pretty much everything on this list are are games that we talk about a fair bit. So the first one is Anomia Kids. So you might say, hey, wait a minute. There's no letters or word making at all in Anomia Kids. There's not even letters on the cards. But that's part of the point, actually. (laughs) So the point is to come up with words that start with the same sound as the thing that's on the picture. This is a great word game to play with kids who are at that beginning reader stage. There are very few other word games that work with little kids, but this one does. Because you are just trying to work with sounds here, spelling is not important. Mm -hmm. And frankly, sometimes you have a word that if you have a very, very young person, they might not know how to spell at all. And it could be problematic when you have to choose a word that starts with K and they say cat. That's the sound that K makes, but it doesn't work for that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it was a brilliant move by Andrew Innes, the creator of Anomia, to look at this at this younger level and say it's about sounds, not about letters. Yeah. And that's so, so smart. And that's why this is a beginner word game. And because you make it about sounds, not letters, it really does do a lot to level that playing field like we talked about. It also makes it kind of interesting, right? Because depending on what's on the card, the words that you use might be a little bit different. Like a duck is a bird. So is it the D sound, the D sound, or is it the B sound, the B sound? Either one of them could potentially work for this, Mm -hmm. right? So it's a really interesting way just with pictures to add a little bit of extra flexibility, but we still think it counts as a word game. Yeah. This is your word game for pre-readers and Mm -hmm. Really for everybody. I I have a great time playing this with adults. Our other word game in this beginner category has a little bit of letters. It's like dipping a toe in. Mm-hmm. Little clicky clacky toes. <laughs> clicky clacky toes with tapple. So again, this one doesn't actually require spelling. You just need to know what letter a word starts with. You're trying to come up with words that fit a category and you can't use the same starting letters that other people have already used. This is definitely a little bit more advanced than Anomia Kids. I mean, you need letter knowledge. And it's a game where you can get knocked out in a round. Um, If you're playing with more than three players, that's an issue. But the rounds go so fast that generally the kids I've played with have not really had their feelings hurt about it. And they kind of watch what everyone else is doing, listen to the words that they're saying, And really store them up for the future of, oh, that's a good thing. Or I see the strategy that this person is using where they're coming up with a bunch of different things when it's not their turn. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, this is just a game that's going to help younger players with learning vocabulary through their observation of other players. Yeah. Yeah, that too. But it's super easy to understand. Very simple. Moves quickly. It's a great game. Yeah. Well, and like Anomia Kids, this is a shout stuff out game. Not a arrange stuff or spell stuff or any of those fine motor skills are not really required. All right. So those are our beginner games, Anomia Kids and Tapple. And now we're going to move into games that are a little bit more complex, 
completely opposite of Tapple. Both of these games do, in fact, involve moving tiles around to create words. Yeah, we are going to make whole words in these games. Yeah, and the first one is a game that we've actually talked about fairly recently, and that is Bananagrams. I mean, I feel like we talk about this one a fair bit. Bananagrams, it is hard to handicap it appropriately, but... It's great for learning that you can make lots of different words with most of the same letters and for this idea that you're never fully committed to something. You can take letters out, you can move them around, you can use them to make other words right in the middle of the game. Folks who have grown up on Scrabble will really be mystified by that part. In addition, like Scrabble, you're trying to get the words to join up, you know, horizontally, vertically, whatever, and that uses a kind of spatial reasoning combined with vocabulary that most kids will find interesting that it becomes a puzzle rather than just a, can I come up with words? Well, and it's a different kind of puzzle than Scrabble, right? So, you know, we've talked about this sparingly, but we've mentioned it, that Scrabble is actually an area control game masquerading as a word game. Yes. That is not at all the case with Bananagrams in any way, shape, or form. It's a different kind of puzzle that you're playing here. I also really like the fact that although, sure, when you make longer words in Bananagrams, it opens up more opportunities for different things, it's not like you get extra points for longer, more complicated words. Yeah. And playing with our kids, I've seen them make these whole, like, almost staircase-like arrangements of three-letter word, three-letter word, three-letter word, three-letter word, just over and over again. And that can still be a really effective way as long as you've got enough vowels. (laughs) Right. That usually ends up being the problem there. But it's a really good game in that sense, too, because a game like Scrabble is really going to punish you if you're only coming up with three-letter words. Mm -hmm. And here, it's totally fine. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So the only thing that Bananagrams has in common with the other word game in this category is that you really want to use all your letters. All of them. True. Bananagrams is competitive, although I tend to kind of look over and be like, oh, did you know you could make this word over here? (laughs) Yeah, I I think that that's a thing that we kind of do as parents when we're playing games with our kids, right? Like, we're still trying to beat them. We don't want to take it too easy on them. But also, we're trying to teach them to enjoy what they're doing. Yeah. And have that thrill of of discovery of, oh, I can put this stuff together this way. Mm -hmm. The other game in our intermediate is a straight full-on co-op game. Yes. And that is Illiterati. So we have been talking about this a little bit over the last couple of weeks. We got in a Kickstarter fulfillment copy of the game for review. It's wonderful. Like everybody likes this game. Yeah. And part of that is the co-op nature of it. So in Illiterati, you want to use all of your letters Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. if the group as a whole has more than a couple of letters left over when the time runs out, you're going to experience bad stuff. Bad stuff happens. Right, right, right. But in trying to use all your letters, like you can pass them off to other people. You can help your neighbor make words. There's all of this. Like, yes, you have secondary goals as well of you want to make words that fulfill specific conditions. Are those really secondary goals? I feel like the secondary goals are just make any words you can, and the primary goals are to fulfill the conditions that complete the book. And I think we've said this before. I feel the opposite. I feel like your primary goal is make words, use all the letters, Mm -hmm. and your secondary goal is fill this condition that you have on the card. Because if you don't just make words and use all the letters, one of the bad things that happens is nobody's going to be able to fulfill their goals and commit their words. They call it 
binding the books yeah. in an adorably <laughs> magical slash real life kind of you know yeah. thing. No one will be able to bind their books. Right. So Literati manages to take this really interesting cooperative word building mechanic and wrap it up in these interesting storylines, kind of. It's not really a story, but it's got this kind of vague thing. The Illiterati are like the Illuminati, right? Yeah, so they're kind of these vague, secretive, bad guy people. Well, and they're villains. They're trying to slow you down and trip you up and, and stop you from binding these books together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... I really, really enjoy the game. I also happen to really like the art style. Again, I'm, I'm a sucker for good art. It's just a lot of fun. And Illiterati does a better job than any other word game I've seen of handling a theme, really. <laughs> like, even, even if it's ridiculous, yeah, right? Like, yeah. it's a silly theme, but it is a theme. And it is a theme that ties well with a word game in a way that makes it pretty easy to get into and a game that people want to play like spell smashers was a theme yeah and i actually th thought they did a really good job with that but it there was too much and, and i couldn't get it to the table so right well and there have been other ones we see with a the theme as well and i think part of the thing with illiterati is they figured out how to put it together without slavishly sticking to sure. the theme for everything sure. and pulling out the parts of the theme that would make it unfun mm -hmm. right so i i think it's great and because it's full-on cooperative I wouldn't play it with a really beginning reader, but if your kid is at like middle grade book level, chapter books, I think they can join in on a game of illiterati. Just yeah, so we've played this with our eight-year-old. Yeah. And he, I mean, he's a pretty good reader and it was fine. You know, he, he wasn't saying, oh, here's the 12-letter word. You need to solve all of your problems, mom. Yeah. But we were fine. We were definitely helping him out a fair bit. But he was contributing, and he felt like his choices mattered. Mm -hmm. And they did. Yeah. So, all right. So we've got our beginner games and homie kids and Tapo. We've got our intermediate games, Bananagrams and Illiterati. And that brings us to our advanced games. So both of these games, these are games. Like, they're <laughs> board gamer games. They are serious gamer games yes. that are word games. Yes. So the first one of these games is from board game creator Gil Hova. He makes... Lots of really good games. And, and all of his games are usually straightforward, direct, and gamer games. Like, that's his yeah. style. And yeah. his game, Wordsy, is no exception. <laughs> uh, Wordsy, the, from the first time we played it, we're like, this is a word game for people who really care about their games being crunchy and gamey. Yeah, I mean, it's not super crunchy. It's not like it's, this is no, a super it's, complicated it's game. Super I don't want to you know, let people in on something that's not true. It's not complicated, but it's very much a, you're trying to make words that use the letters that are available, but you can use other letters as well. And the letters that are available have point values, and your goal is always to, like, make the most points in a round. Pretty standard kind of, you know, mechanics there. But one of the things that Gil does a really good job at is making rules that make sense. You talked before about slavishly adhering to a theme, and I think that sometimes games like this will be so mechanically bound that it doesn't make sense with the context of the game. So you're doing all these mechanics, and you're like, but I'm just I'm just trying to make words, man. And Wordsy does a good job of just letting you make words, man. Yeah, it's just about making words. You want to make words that use as many of the letters as possible so you get higher scores. 
And you want to do it quickly because the first player always basically gets a bonus for being first to be done. But then if somebody else scores higher than the first player, they will also get a bonus. Mm -hmm. So it helps you balance out that, do I want to be quick or do I want to score high? Because what you really want to do is both. Right. So I don't know what the future of Wordsy is because Formal Ferret has closed down. That's the publishing company that Gilhova owns. Mm -hmm. So I'm not really sure where you would go to get this. I suspect you could find yourself a used copy if you wanted to. But yeah, if you want a game that's going to force you to think and be really direct about this sort of real-time strategy game with letters, Wordsy is your game. Yeah. Our other game in the the serious gamer word game is not timed. Instead, it uses a deck building mechanic. It's brilliant. It's so fantastic. I even love that in the rule book, the creator of this game credits Donald Vaccarino for inventing <laughs> deck building with Through Dominion. Dominion. Yeah. yeah, which I thought was just brilliant. This game is paperback. Yes. So designed by Tim Fowers, Fowers Games. Paperback is a deck building word, word game. game. <laughs> yeah, so you're going to draw a hand of cards from your deck. You want to make a word with some or all of those letters. You have wild cards, and they're not worth anything in your word, but they can help fill those Well, they spots. can help you actually make a word. Yeah, right. Like That's exactly. the goal. So this is another game that has a theme. The theme here is totally silly pasted on. This is really more of an abstract word building, deck building game. But the yeah. theme here is that you are a paperback author trying to finish novels for your editor. Yep. That's what you're trying to do. So when you make a word, it is worth some amount of money. And it's in sense, of course, because you're a paperback writer. So you're paid by the word. So you've drawn your hand of cards. You make your word, you set it down and see how many cents that word is worth. And then you can use that money to buy more cards. All of the other cards you can buy are more letters. A lot of them have powers on them that you can then use in future rounds when they come out and you use them in your word. But you can also buy more of the wild cards. The wild cards that you can buy are all worth victory points. So the goal is to be the player with the most victory points at the end of the game. There are a few card powers that will give you points and stuff as well, but the main way to get them is through buying those wild cards. And you have this great balance of, I really want wild cards because they make it easier to make words and their points at the end of the game. But the more wild cards I have, the harder it gets to buy more cards and make more money to buy more cards. Yeah. I mean, look, these are classic deck builder kind yeah. of mechanics, right? And, and and issues that are related to those things. Sometimes you really end up with some impressive words in this one. This yeah. is definitely a game that's going to reward a good vocabulary. That's why we put it in our advanced section. You can even find there's an app for this one, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is actually pretty good. It, it's pretty great. Yeah. Uh, but this is paperback from Fowers Games. And it is our second game in our advanced list. So, Anitra, you want to run through the whole list? So, for beginners, we have what starts with that letter again? Uh, with Anomia Kids and Tapple. For a little bit more challenge, let's go into making whole words with B 
Bananagrams, which is a competitive game, and Illiterati, which is a cooperative game. Then for our serious competitors with a big vocabulary, we have Wordsy and Paperback. Mm -hmm. It looks like Paperback is approaching its 10th anniversary, and they're doing a brand new printing of the game for that. Well, there you go. So it'll be easily available very soon. Yep. All six of these games are excellent. I would play all six of these with anybody who wanted to play them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't play Paperback and Wordsy with my eight-year-old. But no, you get he the would idea. struggle, yeah. Yeah. But we highly recommend all of these. However, these are not the only word games out there, and we know that other people have opinions on word games, too. What? So we want to encourage all of you to comment in the Facebook community. You can find the community by going to thefamilygamers.com forward slash community or heading over to Facebook and just searching for the Family Gamers community. You can also shoot us a message on Facebook, find us on Twitter, find us on Instagram, TikTok, or YouTube at Family Gamers AA. You can email us as well, mm-hmm. Anitra at thefamilygamers.com. Andrew at thefamilygamers.com. You can buy Family Gamers merch, t-shirts and hoodies and mugs and tote bags, maybe, if we're NPR, uh, <laughs> and show everybody that you like to play games with your kids. So I had a work trip this week. I mentioned that. And the first night of the work trip, I saw a friend of mine that I actually had never met before in person. And he put his drinks down and said, I've got something to show you. And he started unbuttoning his shirt in the middle of this like crowded hall. And you were and like, wait, like, uh, what? Uh, what? Uh? And he he pulled like a Superman and he had on a family gamer shirt underneath his button down shirt because he knew he was going to see me. And so he wanted to surprise me. And it made my week. That was so nice. It was awesome. It was totally awesome. So if you want to do that to me, you're going to have to get some family gamer merch. (laughs) (laughs) Go to thefamilygamers.com slash merch. Mm -hmm. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. Tell your friends about the show or tell the people that you don't know about the show. There's probably more of them than your friends. Probably. (laughs) By leaving us a review at Apple Podcast. Not just a rating, but also a written review. It's been a while since we've gotten a written review. Do we need to do a contest around written reviews? I mean, maybe. Maybe we will. But please head over to Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a written review. You can also find us on all the streaming services, Amazon Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, all of those things. The Family Gamers is sponsored by First Move Financial. Go to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers or look on our website to learn how the team at First Move Financial can help you pile up the victory points. Thanks again to the team over there for sponsoring the show. Well, I think that's going to be it for us this week. This has definitely made me want to go out and play some more board games. Sure. <laughs> you you want to play a game of a paperback with me tonight? Yeah, maybe. Maybe we will. Well... Until next week, everybody. Play Play games games with with your kids. kids.